I'm offering this talk during our second period of sitting meditation tonight because I'd like us as much as possible to follow our breath during the talk, to be fully present for yourself. So I'll open with the words of John O'Donohue, um, who gives this talk in a few lines. He says, May you open the gift of solitude in order to receive your soul. Enter the generosity of silence to hear your hidden heart. Know the serenity of stillness to be enfolded anew by the miracle of your being. So what John O'Donohue is pointing to there is silence. And I'd like to talk about silence. Silence is the foundation of the contemplative life. It's the bedrock of what we do. But silence alone is not enough. It's not a complete contemplative life because silence can be nourishing, but it can also be an escape, a kind of spiritual bypassing. So silence isn't the end, it's the means. Silence isn't the end, it's the means. So why do we cultivate silence? When we become silent, what fills that space? And you, if you take a glass of dirty water, muddy water from a pond, and you let that glass sit for a while, it becomes clear water. It settles out. That's why we cultivate silence, so that things can settle out. So I'd like to offer three answers to the question, why we cultivate silence. The first answer is that silence, <clears throat> excuse me, silence quiets our own shouting so that we can hear the world's whispers. Silence quiets our own shouting so we can hear the world's whispers. There was a movie uh, called Beaches with Bette Midler years ago, and she had one of the best lines I've ever heard in a movie. She's at a party and she's talking, talking, talking as only Bette Midler can. And finally, she says to the person she's talking to, but enough about me, let's talk about you. What do you think of me? <laughs> Love that line. Silence quiets our own shouting so we can hear the world's whispers. Otherwise, we're just like Bette Midler. It's all about me all the time. We can't hear anything that's going on around us. 
Here's what Franz Kafka said. You do not need to leave your room. Remain sitting at your table and listen. Do not even listen, simply wait. Do not even wait. Be quiet, still, and solitary. The world will freely offer itself to you to be unmasked. It has no choice. It will roll in ecstasy at your feet. So when we cultivate silence, the world will roll in ecstasy at our feet because we are present for it. Why cultivate silence? Here's the second answer I'd like to offer. Silence quiets our passions so we can awake to the suffering of others. Silence quiets our passions so we can awake to the suffering of others. Imagine the power of doing that in the world we have right now. Silencing our passions so we can awaken to the suffering of others. Martha Postlewaite wrote a wonderful poem about this called Clearing. Do not try to save the whole world or do anything grandiose. Instead, create a clearing in the dense forest of your life and wait there patiently until the song that is your life falls into your own cupped hands and you recognize and greet it. Only then, <coughs> excuse me, only then will you know how to give yourself to this world so worthy of rescue. I'll read that again. Do not try to save the whole world or do anything grandiose. Instead, create a clearing in the dense forest of your life and wait there patiently until the song that is your life falls into your own cupped hands and you recognize and greet it. Only then will you know how to give yourself to this world so worthy of rescue. Silence quiets our passions so we can awake to the suffering of others. We make a clearing in the forest of our lives. That's the silence. And we listen. This is the practice of Avalokiteshvara, the bodhisattva of deep listening. She sits silently and listens to the cries of the world until right action arises spontaneously. And then she responds. This is the foundation of silence in our practice, this listening, so that our passions are stilled and we can respond. Why cultivate silence? Here's the third answer I'd like to offer. 
science qu silence quiets our individualism so we can find our right place among all. Silence quiets our individualism so we can find our right place among all. Yeats wrote, we can make our minds so like still water that beings gather about us that, that, may, that they may see it may be their own image and so live for a moment with a clearer, perhaps even a fiercer life because of our quiet. Again, we can make our minds so like still water that beings gather about us that they may see, it may be, their own images, and so live for a moment with a clearer, perhaps even a fiercer life because of our quiet. Silence quiets our individualism so we can find our right place among all. And it turns out that this right place is a place that benefits self and other. We're silent so the world can hear itself. We're silent so the world can know itself. We're silent so the world can act with wisdom. This benefits self and other. But silence can be frightening. For some of us who have been oppressed or ignored or overlooked, we may fear silence because it feels like it's an erasure. So there may be things that come up for us if that's our history. And it can be frightening because we might not want to face ourselves. We create an outer chaos so that we don't have to see our inner chaos. There's a lot of difficult things in us. You know, fear and ambition and anger and all the painful human emotions that we have. They're right there. And generally we don't want to see that. So it takes courage to be silent because there's nowhere to hide. But it's worth it because that same space that lets in the fear and the anger and the sadness also lets in the joy and the happiness, the peace, the deep connection. It's worth it. So I want to talk about outer and inner silence how they're different, and how they work together. Let's first talk about outer silence. 
that's usually what we think about when we think about silence, finding a quiet place. I had, a, I had an opportunity to go to Manhattan a while ago, and I live on this very quiet place, this little island, where I don't see other houses from my house, I don't hear human sounds, and here I'm dropped into the middle of Manhattan. Wow, there's no silence there. Actually, I found it quite quite fun. Um, it, it, the energy was sort of addictive. I, I sort of liked, you know, stepping stepping out the door of the the big building onto the sidewalk and just going with this flow flow of energy. Um, but I also noticed that it watered some seeds of selfishness and rushing and competitiveness. Uh, so I didn't like that too much, and I was I was happy to come back to this little island and and water the seeds of awareness and and love and and presence and honesty. But we can have inner silence even if we don't have outer silence. It's important to have outer silence though, especially at first. Our fifth mindfulness training is about this. It's about watering the seeds that are nourishing for us and not allowing the seeds that aren't nourishing to um, get too much attention. So I know that this precept has helped me, for instance, if I want to have more outer silence and I go to a restaurant, well, one of the precepts is not to kill. And so I don't eat meat. So when I open the, when I open the menu at a restaurant, I've got three choices instead of 57. So I've instantly simplified and quieted what I have to think about. Ah, three things. Great. I can find something I like. I come back home a lot and sit quietly on my porch so that I can water the seed of outer silence. And it's a great joy to me. I hope you have something similar you can do. So um, another outward silence that we have is our behavior. We can silence our behavior. The Buddha left several examples of this that were really good. Of He silenced himself many times in, in the stories of his life, as many times. Uh, he was asked often by people who wanted to challenge him, very intelligent people, uh, scholars, they would come and they would try and trap him on a particular point of philosophy. And very often the Buddha simply would not answer. He would just say nothing at all. He was silencing his behavior because he knew that responding to a theoretical question was not ultimately going to help anyone. Just foster more outward um, noise. Another powerful example of the Buddha silencing his speech was what, when he gave what was called the flower sermon. There was apparently several hundred monastics gathered for, uh, uh, to hear the Buddha speak. And the Buddha simply held up a flower silently and didn't say a thing. 
And almost all the monastics kind of looked around and went, mm, mm, uh, mm. felt a little cheated. Maybe they'd walked for days to hear the Buddha speak. And, and here he's holding up this flower. But one monastic saw, it was Mahakasapa, and he smiled. And the Buddha said this was the first transmission. Mahakasapa's smile was the first transmission to the Buddha's silent Dharma talk. So part of silencing our behavior is to make a smaller footprint in the world. The world needs us, but the world doesn't need that much of us all the time. So we can find ways to silence our behavior. Uh, when I was at the Garrison Institute in New York uh, a while back, it's this wonderful old Catholic monastery that's been converted into a, a Buddhist practice center. And they have all hallway after hallway lined with the monks' cells of the monks that used to live there. And that's where you stay when you go there. But these old floors are really squeaky. So, so when you walk down the floors, it's this empty hallway. And you know there's people in the rooms. But it's squeak. So I would always make sure that I take off my shoes and carry my shoes and walk as silently as I could so I could silence my behavior and not make a negative impact on the world. It was great fun. There's a humility to having a silent behavior. You know, if you think of the really powerful Oftentimes, the things that are really powerful are silent. A mountain, silent. A great redwood tree, it's silent. You think of the Skagit River that flows through our lives. How silent it is compared to a little babbling brook that makes a lot of noise. So that's the, that's the outward silence. How about the inner silence? Inner silence is supported by a silent environment and by our silent outward behavior. That really helps us foster inner silence. And, and inner silence is really our natural state when we allow our grasping mind to calm, silence arises naturally. We don't have to create it. It's right there. Back to that dirty water. You know, you scoop up the dirty water of your mind. If you're silent for a while, it just becomes clear. But unfortunately, our habitual busyness overwhelms our natural silence much of the time. So it's, it's important to practice in order to uh, slow our momentum enough to appreciate our inner silence. Gail did that for us tonight when we gathered. She invited a bell five minutes before sitting started. That was an invitation to slow our momentum 
but you know, the momentum, when we come and see each other, we're happy about that. We want to see each other. We, we're happy. We chat. We, we want to connect, especially now in this COVID time when we don't see each other much. So as that group energy slows, we slow. And as we slow, the group slows. So we find this inner silence together. Another practice we can use to um, foster our inner silence is to slow the momentum of our body. You may have noticed that in our practice, we often do things quite slowly. We tend to walk slowly. Sometimes we speak slowly. We read slowly. That's to slow our momentum and make it easier for us to experience this inner stillness. And that helps us slow the momentum of our mind. Our body is an, our mind is an extension of our body. So when we slow our body, we naturally slow our mind. As we still our body, our mind stills. You might notice that uh, if you sit quietly and still your body, your mind may be less likely to be searching into the future or the past. It may be less likely to want to grab onto this or push away that. A still body might make this present moment something your mind can befriend instead of avoid. Luckily, we can find inner silence even when the outer world is chaotic. I remember being in Manhattan on the sidewalk, even being jostled by all these people in the pre-COVID world, there was still some silence in me. It, they didn't have to all be silent for me to be silent. It was okay. And as we practice touching this inner silence more and more, it doesn't matter so much whether it's outwardly silent around us. So there's a poem by William Stafford called Any Morning that speaks to this. Just lying on the couch and being happy, only humming a little, the quiet sound in the head. Trouble is busy elsewhere at the moment. It has so much to do in the world. People who might judge are mostly asleep. They can't monitor you all the time, and sometimes they forget. When dawn flows over the hedge, you can get up and act busy. Little corners like this, pieces of heaven left lying around, can be picked up and saved. People won't even see that you have them. They're so light and easy to hide. Later in the day, you can act like the others. You can shake your head. You can frown. I love that. Any morning, William Stafford. So we can come home to the silence of our breath, 
of our step, of the windy sky. It's always waiting right here for us in the present moment, always here, even if it's a chaotic moment. And this effortless silence, it arises from our practice. When we sit on the cushion, it's what we're doing. We are settling our body. We're, we're silencing our behavior to give our mind a chance also to experience the silence. We slow our momentum. We simplify our environment. And we just return again and again to the present moment. The more we do this, the more we see that silence is effortless. It's those habit energies that take us away from silence that we have to reform. They take some effort. But silence itself takes no effort at all. I'd like to end with a poem by Pablo Neruda. It's called Keeping Quiet. Now we will count to 12 and we will all keep still. This one time upon the earth, let's not speak any language. Let's stop for one second and not move our arms so much. It would be a delicious moment without hurry, without locomotives. All of us would be together in a sudden uneasiness. The fishermen in the cold sea would do no harm to the whales. And the peasant gathering salt would look at his torn hands. Those who prepare green wars, wars of gas, wars of fire, victories without survivors, would put on clean clothing and would walk alongside their brothers in the shade without doing a thing. What I want shouldn't be confused with final inactivity. Life alone is what matters. I want nothing to do with death. If we weren't unanimous about keeping our lives in so much motion, if we could do nothing for once, perhaps a great silence would interrupt this sadness, this never understanding ourselves and threatening ourselves with death. Perhaps the earth is teaching us when everything seems to be dead and then everything is alive. Now, I will count to 12 and you keep quiet and I'll go. <laughs> <laughs>